You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 2nd of June. The Jazz look to close out the Grizzlies today, but first we rewatch Game 4 to see what we can learn before Game 5. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a jazz fan each and every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in this episode. All right, a um, bunch of stuff for you. want to thank you. A uh, few things. Uh, our, we're, we're climbing the iTunes charts. Uh, we were at 73 last night of the top 200 sports and recreation podcasts, which for a local show is super high. We are the highest local show. Um, so thank you very much. Appreciate it. Any reviews um, at iTunes are much appreciated. That helps the ratings. For those of you that are new to the program, because we are having a re- uh, numbers jump, the silly little bump started like 10 years ago. And the story behind it was when I was building the podcast, the joke was I had no production. I had no one else doing it with me. And so I just became my own production. And that's where that started. It has not stopped or left us. Um, since then. And so, but now like we're actually a real network and we're owned by a real company. And it's like, why does he do that? So it's uh, for those that are longtime locked on listeners, they know this, but for the rest of us, that's the um, answer. Um, so uh, that's, you know, that's kind of the backstory there. All right, let's see. Here's what we do today. Uh, I rewatch the game and then I try to avoid going chronologically, but more kind of go big story um, from what I noticed re-watching the game. My, my overall take is the adjustments are actually getting subtle at this point. There's not a massive amount going on adjustment-wise. Like, I think, um, you know, it was noticeable to me that Memphis earlier this series was running what I call the squeeze or V pick and roll a lot, where they bring the two bigs up and you can't go under it. <clears throat> the Jazz seem to have kind of figured that out, or at least Memphis isn't running it anymore. Uh, they ran it once all game. Bogdanovich popped out on the front side of it, guarded it, hedged it, forced it in a certain direction, and and kind of blew it up. And it was as though Memphis saw that and was like, "Okay, well that's enough. We don't need to run that anymore." Um, met, you know, it doesn't. There aren't like crazy defensive matchup games going on right now. Like Donovan was on Anderson a little bit, and Conley was on Anderson a little bit, but there's nothing too crazy going on where people are cross matching. The biggest move of the game from that standpoint was Jaron Jackson playing the center minutes with the second unit um, p- pulling out from three and trying to see if that could impact Gobert. They had played Xavier Tillman. They had played Brandon Clark. They had done a bunch of this other, some other ideas. And so this was the latest iteration of that. So that I think was um, new. Jaron Jackson, is playing better than he has during the regular season. Remember, he was out for a little while, um, only played 11 games to close the year. Now he's played 
the two play-in games plus the playoffs and looks a little bit better. But in the regular season, they were minus 21 when Jaron Jackson was on the floor as the center without Valanchunas. And in the playoffs, they're minus 26. So that adjustment, while it makes sense on paper, has not really worked yet for them. Uh, now, some of that's also without John Morant on the floor, um, but the idea was bringing Gobert out, and that hasn't. Um, and having and then Jackson was super aggressive in those moments. Kind of was very clear, like if we're going to do this, it only works if you shoot, and he did that. So, from a big picture standpoint, from adjustments, there are a few offensive plays. I thought some of the play calling was interesting by the Jazz. There, they've found a few things that they like. We'll get into that in a little bit. Memphis clearly has a play that they like. Um, so you get to that point of the series, but nothing massive seems to be going on. The The takeaway that I had re-watching it is not, you know, sometimes, you know, we got to watch film. Eh, well, yeah, you do. And it's very helpful to watch film. And it helped me watch film, but it's not like you can't also see some of it. And what I really noticed was Donovan and how truly, truly exceptional um, Donovan was in that ballgame. That, that's what jumped out to me. Uh, more than anything else. And then today there's an article by Jackie McMullen, the Hall of Fame writer from Donovan about Donovan and his relationship with Dwayne Wade. And there's a quote in that article that's really interesting. Um, he's Wayne said to Donovan, Wade said to Donovan, you are trying to attack from so many different angles, but you can attack it from one angle if you are patient. When you try to do all these different things at once, it's not going to happen. Don't force it. Let the game come to you. Uh, And I thought Donovan um, did that. I thought Donovan, and there's a lot of talk in about how Donovan uses film study and things like that. We've seen the film study with how he's kind of maximized his work on Dylan Brooks. And then the other thing I think we've seen is late in the game, Donovan would... On one point, had Grayson Allen. They were playing Rudy flat, so that means Rudy's on the baseline. He's not coming up for the pick. Donovan is being guarded by Grayson Allen, and Donovan moves Rudy from one side of the floor to the other to set up his drive. This time, he's going to go left, leaving the big away from Rudy, and Donovan drives and draws a foul. About three or four plays later, Donovan comes up the floor, moves guys around, and moves Rudy to the other side of the lane, to the strong side where he is, and then goes with it, beats the defender with his right hand, going where Rudy used to be and clearing that up and getting a basket and a foul. Th- those items to me are symbolic of the film study that Jackie McMullen talks about in this interview that we've heard about from Joe Ingles and everybody else about Donovan. It shows that slowing down, uh, you know, he he doesn't always slow down and wait for this half-court set. In fact, there were probably three plays in this game where Donovan goes coast-to-coast coast off a of make and scores. And in some ways, those three plays won the game because they're just easy baskets off of a, off of a made basket that's almost a gift to get in transition like that. And the ability to do that is just you know, simply Donovan's ability to make plays and relieve the burden of making plays like that is pretty, is mammothly important. Like you just, that's, you can't underestimate how important just having those three baskets that were just made out of desire and incredible talent um, and that Donovan can make those plays. So I think when you, you know, but these other plays I think are symbolic 
of kind of Donovan reading the game, understanding the game, knowing what he wants, having it in his mind before. And if we even go to the big three on the play before uh, the night before or, t- or game three, you know, Rudy comes up and sets the pick behind. They're communicating with each other about like, well, what are we going to do here? Who's going to, which way are you going to go? When Donovan sees Valanchunas shading to Donovan's right side and Donovan's like, you know what, actually, I, I still know what I want here and I want to pull up three. And so he goes that way. Rudy sets the pick and with Valanchunas drops, he pulls where Valanchunas by pre-shifting, which is what Memphis has done all series long on those pre-shifting, is trying to force Donovan to his offhand going away from the pick and Valanchunas figures he can recover because he's dropped back far enough. Donovan's just reading these things beautifully. So we are seeing it. We forget, I think he's only in his fourth year. But Donovan was truly brilliant. I mean, it's 102.99. Donovan drives and draws the foul um, on a key play. Um, one, then the two next play later is the play where Donovan drives at Grayson Allen with the defense flat. Um, and then Conley ends up hitting a big three shortly after that to kind of stretch out the 102.99 run. One point when Memphis got it to 70 to 68, Memphis rolling. Rudy's has explosion pounding on the basketball standard, getting the technical foul. Rudy makes a great play, but the next kind of three play, three or four plays, Donovan kind of feeds Royce to tell him to take a three. Donovan um, goes coast to coast for one of those baskets. Uh, Donovan beats Allen on a play where he sets him up right down. And then the other one, Donovan just brilliance, just Desmond Bain guarding the slightest little gap and Donovan's able to beat the slightest gap. So, you know, the honestly, he just makes all the difference and he's slowing down. He's playing brilliant. He's playing superstar basketball. He's only in his fourth year. We watched the game last night where Dame was just insane. I mean, truly insane. We'll talk about kind of where the playoffs sit here in a second. Um, I mean, that was, but that Dame's, you know, in his what, eighth or ninth year at this point, I mean, I don't think, you know, I don't know if Donovan ever has that. That might've been the greatest single performance shooting performance you'll ever see in the history of the game. But the, but what you are seeing is, you know, Donovan in his fourth year taking massive, uh, massive strides to what's going on. So with all of that said, my Michelob Ultra Player of the Week is Mike Conley. I think you, you know, you have to look at what Mike did in the way he played games two and three and the big threes. I'm still giving my Michelob Ultra Player of the Week to Mike Conley. Mike's three, two dagger three-pointers in the fourth quarter or the key his completely unselfish and unbelievable maestro uh, puppeteer esque play of the pick and roll in games two and three uh, lead me to the Michelob ultra player of the week where Mike Conley playing with such joy, such happiness and is owning his old building, reminding them of what they had while they still enjoy the play of Ja Morant, but reminding them of why he was so beloved in the Memphis uh, community. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. It's 2.6 carbs. It's 95 calories. It's Michelob Ultra. Joy creates success. Enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. Today's show is brought to you as well by Intercap Lending, and that's our good friend Steve Carter over at Intercap Lending. 
Intercap Lending is a lending company that's been in business for over 40 years. Josh Romney moved it to Utah and they have exploded. And in a day and age right now where everything is, the housing market's going crazy and it's hard to get everything done because everyone's overloaded. This is when you need someone like Intercap. Hyper-responsive, embrace change, understand the borrower experience, and they get deals done. Their business has just been blowing up 100% growth every six months off the last 12 months, like crazy numbers. But why? Because they get stuff done. Their production is still purchased business. The current interest rate environment makes for refinancing a no-brainer. The markets are going nuts. So go work with Intercap Lending, and our personal loan officer is Steve Carter. His number is 385-800-8528. That's 385-885-28. If you're not in Utah, you can still use Steve Carter. So call him at 385-800-8528. My partner, Carl Weinstein, did. Uh, our COO, he's out of L.A. doing a house in Oregon, and he ends up using our guy, Steve Carter. Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465. Visit intercaplending.com. Steve Carter, 385-800-8528. Uh, the other things that jumped out at me uh, from the rewatch, Rudy really, second half was great. So, you know, this is always, you know, there was, uh, you know, questions like, oh, where's Rudy in the first half? So truthfully, I think um, what you see in these circumstances is in the case of Rudy, and, and this is, you know, either the criticism of him or not, I, I, I think this is who he is, is that he does not dictate whether or not he has an impact on the offense. He dictates the pressure he's going to put on the defense in every single game, the way he plays, which is the rolling, the vertical pacing, uh, spacing, the pressure on the rim, all the things that he does so beautifully. And then the defense has to decide how they react. And if the defense decides, well, we want to take Rudy out, then they're generally able to do that by having four or five, you know, two, three, four guys. And that's exactly what they did in the, what Memphis did in the first half of that game is there's a play early in the game. I think Bogdanovich is driving the lane. They literally have five people in the lane, five, not like three, five guys are in the lane. Well, if they're playing five guys in the lane, guess what? Rudy's not getting the ball. Like, There's not a lot we can do about that. And yet, Rudy doesn't get the ball. Our offensive rating when he was on the floor was a 119 in the first half quarter. That's, that's perfectly good. In the second quarter, the offense is bogged down. The offensive rating when Rudy was on the floor was 100. It wasn't, it wasn't as good. Then they, but our off, but Memphis adjusts. They get back. They kind of spread it out a little bit. They're worried about the three-pointer. Memphis is, I think, like 2-14 and 14 when they make seven fewer threes than their opponent. So Memphis is super aware of the three-point shooting discrepancy that's going on between these two teams and trying to up their three-point game. And as the Jazz started taking you know, more three-pointers in the first half, what, what ends up happening is Memphis now decides that they're going to kind of open up Rudy a little bit. Jazz were 10 of 19 in the first half on threes as they took away, and Rudy had no field goals, right? So in the second half, Rudy ends up with seven field goals, and we only went, and we got 15 threes. Like, you're, that's a little bit of the game here. And 
when Rudy has not very many shot attempts, then we take a lot of threes. And when Rudy has shot attempts, we take fewer threes because it tells you what the defense is doing. And the brilliance of the Jazz is they react to whatever the defense is doing. With that said, Rudy just made some outlandishly impressive plays, um, grabbing an offensive rebound, stepping through, drop-stepping. Like, Rudy was exceptional, but Rudy also got to play with a little more space than he did in the first half of that game. And so... You know that was that was the decision they made. I I suspect Rudy could have a monster monster game five. I I think that the three point shooting has worn out Memphis, and my guess on changes that they're going to make is that you're going to see them hug the shooters more, and the Jazz are going to play pick and roll. Valanciunas is going to drop. They're going to go back to forcing the Jazz to making the off the bounce three. And if Valanciunas comes up at all on that off the bounce three, Rudy's going to have a mammoth game five. Uh, that that's my expectation. The other one would be if they're dropping the big Donovan's going to drop and and Donovan starts hitting the off the bounce three. Donovan has his 40 point playoff game tonight. I think the jazz offense has slowed down a little bit in the series. Not a lot. One 11 in the first game without Donovan. Okay. Who cares? 140 offensive rating game two is astronomical. Um, by the way, the median offense in the NBA right now for the playoffs is about a 114. There's been 75 games. The 35th um, or so, 32nd or so, is about a 114. Um, so 139.6, 125, 119. So the Jazz, but it's slid the last three games. It's gone from 140 to 125 to 119. I'm not too worried about that um, in the sense of, you know, those numbers are all really, really high, but you are seeing Memphis kind of figure some things out. And I think at this point, if I'm Memphis, I'm deciding, you know what, I've got to see if I can um, get get them to miss shots, force them into threes they're going to miss. Jazz offensive rating with Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell on the floor together in this series is a 132. The Jazz offensive rating with Mike Conley on the floor and no Donovan Mitchell is a 128. The Jazz offensive rating with Mike with Donovan Mitchell on the floor and Mike Conley off the floor is a 124. Like they are slicing them up right now. Small sample size. I don't think the one lineup that just has not gone as well in the playoffs is when Mike and Donovan switch and Joe Ingles has been on the floor in those 34 minutes when Joe plays point guard by himself. Our offensive rating has been a 65. I don't think we, I don't remember seeing that in game four. I think that's one of the subtle kind of adjustments that was made um, in rotations or things of that nature is you know, the, when the Jazz have had either Donovan or Mike on the floor as the ball handler, it has been pretty incredible. Um, and I think they left all of Joe's minutes um, with one or the other um, the other night in a subtle, like, adjustment uh, to the way they do their rotation. Um, there are some play calls um, that are that are kind of working on each side. Memphis is running a wide pin down for um for Dylan Brooks predominantly and what that wide pin down is is 
Brooks comes, he usually actually, interestingly, he's coming from the left corner so he can have a right-hand dribble to the middle. He's getting a pick immediately in the corner, which the Jazz were not switching very often. That's by another guard, and Donovan, they're, they're trying to create the switch so they get Royce off of O'Neal, or Royce off of Brooks at that point, and the Jazz have done a pretty good job of avoiding that. And then as Brooks gains momentum, kind of up, a little bit extended above the elbow or the top of the key. Valanchunas sets the second pick on that. The Jazz sometimes run that pretty tight. A lot of teams run that a little bit tight. Um, but the um, instead, they're running it kind of wide, pinned down, but wide. the two picks are, are with a double pick, and they're pretty far apart. That play, Brooks is getting downhill into some action that's been pretty successful. I don't entirely know the answer other than slumping off the far side and maybe if Kyle Anderson's in the game leaving him open for a three um, to try to take away Brown's uh, Brooks's drive at that point you could play Rudy a little high, higher but then Valanchunas is going to slip to the rim and they've spaced it well enough it's hard to bring somebody because Valanchunas is on the same side as the pin down you'd have to bring it off whoever set the corner pick to start to kind of bump him if you're going to bring a third defender so it's it's a well-spaced good play that's difficult um, to watch. The Jazz are running a bunch of horn sets. That's where you have, if the free throw line is set and there's a player at each edge corner of the free throw line, the Jazz are running a bunch of different horn sets off that. Um, some of them are, you know, and and there's a lot of different variations. If you actually, it's pretty fascinating if you were to run through the game and see how many times the Jazz are in that formation and who's in it and how many different ways they run plays off it. It's it's pretty awesome. Like sometimes it'll be Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert. Sometimes it's Boyan and Rudy. Sometimes it's Royce and Rudy. It's always a big, and then it's any of our four smalls, and they run different things based on it. One of the more interesting plays off that was that they were running Joe Ingles off a flare. He'd get a pick from Rudy to get free, and he'd flare away from the ball, and they'd throw it over the top. And the minute Joe caught it, rather than Rudy coming back to Joe to set a pick, Joe and Rudy would just roll together. So if you think about it, Rudy set the pick to free Joe. Joe goes, and they flare it over the top of the defense, and he catches. And now Joe and Rudy are separate because Joe's gotten the pass. And instead of Rudy going back to Joe to set a pick, Joe catches, just goes to his left hand, comes down the left side of the lane, and Rudy rolls the middle on a what's kind of an interesting little way. Of, it's almost like it's actually it's a roll without the pick and roll. And that play for the Jazz yielded a lot, and then they ran a tight variation of that on a different play off that horn set for Joe. Quinn's play calling in this game was as good as I've seen in regards to just keeping guys engaged. He got Joe engaged. He got Boyan engaged along the way. All right, I will... Uh, I've got some other notes. So that was play calling. Gobert was fabulous. Memphis's strategy. Donovan was amazing. Memphis has got a quandary um, that we'll get into, um, and I'll be interested to watch how they play in this series. I think they might have found something. We'll see a little bit more in this series. And then um, I have, like, a question. Is Dylan Brooks actually a good defender? Like, I know that's the, like, I'm watching, though, and I'm not convinced of that fact. Um, we'll talk about that plus some other stuff. Um, coming up, I know that was kind of a hot take. I didn't totally mean it that way, but maybe I did. Or I'm just being petty because he's, you know, we're competing against him. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Life just got tastier 
with Built Bar, with their nine core flavors, coconut almond, mint brownie, salted caramel, raspberry, peanut butter brownie, coconut, cherry barcia, cookies and cream, and double chocolate. They, you can buy your mixed Built Bar cooler, so the 100% chocolate um, doesn't melt. That's a pretty cool thing. Ron Boone just got in the golf tournament. It's all fired up about it. You can mix and match your own flavor combinations. You can get the 18-bar mixed bag and get it all for you. It's at BuiltBar.com with the promo code LOCK15. You get 15% off. What makes Built Bar so amazing other than the taste is the macros. 130 calories, 2.5 fat grams, 4 net carbs, 4 sugars, and just 17 grams of protein. All in a candy bar that tastes, or a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. We just got, we get these sneak pre- of specialty flavors and grasshopper cookie is coming and it is amazing. I think it's coming. Maybe we're just getting a sample and we'll find out whether we like it. I think it's amazing. Um, it's almost as good as coconut brownie chunk. So go check it out. All right. Yesterday, the jazz were the odds on favorite to win the West. That's right. At betonline.ag, the jazz Uh, or the odds-on favorite to win the West yesterday for the first time. How about that? Right now, the Jazz are plus 175 at betonline.ag. The Clippers are plus 250. The Suns are plus 475. The Lakers are plus 525. Denver's plus 900. And Portland's plus 2,500 after their heartbreaking loss. The Nets are the favorite to win the... Title at plus 160 with the Jazz at plus 450. Clippers at plus 600 and the Bucks at plus 625. Tonight's odds on individual games. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers are a six-point favorite. Um, with over the Washington Wizards, unclear on Embiid. The Knicks are one-and-a-half-point favorite against the Hawks. The Jazz are a nine-and-a-half-point favorite today. Uh, to close out the series. And the Clippers are a seven-point favorite against Dallas. The Lakers are a three-point favorite against Phoenix tomorrow. And then uh, Portland is a five-point favorite to force a game seven there. They have first-half odds, first-quarter lines. First-quarter line is Jazz by three. First-half line at betonline.ag is Jazz by five-and-a-half, and and the overall line is Jazz by nine-and-a-half. Betonline.ag, promo code locked on gets you a 50% welcome bonus. All right, um, so I literally wrote down, is Dylan Brooks a good defender? And I literally looked up whether or not Memphis's defense during the season, was better with him on the floor or off the floor? The answer is it's better with him on the floor, so give him his credit. But when I watch them, they're incredibly disciplined. They execute their game plan fabulously. They do a ton of stuff well. They know exactly. And Dylan Brooks is like the wild card who's all over the place. Like not executing, making defensive mistakes, doing all those kind of things. So to me a little bit, I wonder, you know, is there just you have to play through a possession and force him to overshift at some point in time? But they're three points better per 100 possessions when he's on the floor defensively. You know, so is Jonas Valanciunas. I don't know how much they match minutes together. Um, But I was just honestly a little surprised um, when you watch the film for all the accolades he gets, how often he's freelancing, overplaying, picking up fouls, 
or doing something of that sort. Their defense has been way better in the playoffs with him on the floor too. When he gets in foul trouble, frankly, so far in the playoffs, that's what's killed them. So an inaccurate observation on my end, but to say that the Jazz, I would say that just tells me the Jazz are not crazy bothered uh, by him right now. Some other notes. Um, Memphis has got a little rotation quandary going on. Um, John Morant and Grayson Allen are really good offensive players. I think Grayson's actually done the best he can defensively. He's way better than he used to be. He he can stay on the floor now. He's really playing pretty well. He played 30 minutes the other night. Um, but the Jazz are, you know, if John Morant or Grayson Allen's on the floor, the Jazz can get one of them in the action every single time. They're one pass away from having one of those guys in the action every time. Desmond Bain and DeAnthony Melton are thought of as better defenders, particularly DeAnthony Melton, and he had a brilliant fourth quarter the other night. He was on the floor for four of, of kind of their, they had six, seven runs the other day. He was on the floor for four of them, probably not entirely coincidental. Desmond Bain, I haven't watched him enough to know whether or not he's actually that good defensively. He was thought of being good defensively at TCU. That's a collegiate good defensively compared to what you have to be in the NBA, and so maybe he's not, but it feels to me that like Desmond B. Anthony Melton and Desmond Bain is their kind of defensive wing play. And then their offensive wing play is Grayson Allen and John Morant. And they're having a hard time mixing and matching which those guys are um, and, who, and who they have on the floor. I We saw in the end of the second quarter a lineup that was Valanchunas with Morant, Allen, Bain, and Melton. And while they went on an 8-0 run, and while they were on the floor with that lineup in the second quarter, they were plus one. So now they have their two, what I think are probably their two, other than Dylan Brooks, two of their best wing defenders and two of their best offensive players. And we saw it again, at the, but with Jaron Jackson Jr., and it didn't work. And then I don't think we ever saw it again until the end of the fourth quarter, but then this time, midway through the fourth quarter, but this time Dylan Brooks was in the game instead of Desmond Bain. Um, And so I don't think, unless I kind of missed it somewhere along the way um, for a brief moment, but I I don't think so, that it ever came back. It was kind of out of necessity, I think, as Dylan Brooks was in foul trouble. Um, And then they played it with Jaron Jackson instead of Jonas Valanciunas. So keep an eye on... Four guards with Valanchunas. Now, that means Kyle Anderson's off the floor, and Kyle Anderson's really good. But I think you'll see a little bit more Grizzlies playing the four guards and maybe a little bit more individual attacking. Memphis does not have one-on-one isolation attack players, which is fortunate for us uh, in this matchup. Uh, Final notes for you before we wrap this up. I've kind of given you a little bit of what I think we'll see. Jordan Clarkson had some great screen outs in that game. Uh, worth noting, I do think the Jazz are going to get a bunch of off-the-bounce three-point shots in this game. I think the irony to this is that Memphis is going to come back defensively to where they started the series, which is allowing the Jazz to pull, have to, or forcing the Jazz to take pull-up three-point shots, high pick-and-roll, off the pick, rise up, make that shot. Clarkson, Conley... Mitchell, and if we do, they take it. Donovan's 7 of 17 on that shot. Clarkson's just 4 of 16. Joe is 3 of 6, and Conley's 10 of 18. We've kind of crushed them with that shot, but I, I don't know what their other answer is. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see that shot available um, for the Jazz. Last game, 
Um, the Jazz got it, uh, I think, 12 times and made five. It's a pretty great percentage. Conley, two of two, two big ones. Donovan, two of five. So uh, I, I, that's at least my guess um, of what of what we might see from Memphis defensively going kind of back to where they started uh, in this series. Um, the little Donovan talked about it after the game, the little plays that, you know, when they're making a run, you got to make, you got to stay engaged. It's one Oh six, one Oh one jazz lead. Memphis is making their run. Uh, and the jazz get an unbelievable defensive rebound. The next possession down Melton hits the three after we don't score to make it 106-104, like that's a big difference. It's 106-104 rather than 106 all because we didn't get that rebound. I mean, there's a butterfly effect, but assume there's not here for a second. And then Conley came down and hit the three. And so instead of just being 109-106, it's now 109-103 and we're up six. Like it was, that was an enormously big play. And those are the kind of plays Donovan's talking about. And the final note I have for you on the day, 109-106, four minutes left. And the Jazz went to the Conley-Gobert pick-and-roll with Memphis hugging the shooters. Conley uh, uh, pick-and-roll with Gobert. Gobert gets fouled. Beautiful read by Conley. Great power move by Mike. And then the next time, the Jazz bring Conley up. A little same variation of it, but they run Donovan off a brush screen that gets uh, Grayson Allen switched onto Mike Conley, who then immediately rolls into Gobert pick. Allen gets hit by Gobert with a pick, and Conley hits the three. And then the next and final play, horn set. So again, similar variation <clears throat> off of it. Conley gets comes off a pick out of that horn set with a little bit of a brush action. Pass, nice bounce pass to Gobert. Gobert makes the right, right read to Bogey for a right corner three who misses it. O'Neal gets an incredible offense. We went back out to Bogey who hits the three. Love that Bogey pulled that shot a second time. We've seen Bogey at times this year get kind of lack of confidence after a missed shot. He doesn't do it. He pulls it a second time and buries it, which is a great sign for the Jazz. But you saw the same basic play, Conley Gobert pick and roll, three variations, one just a straight pick and roll, one off a brush screen into a pick and roll, one out of a horn set into a pick and roll, three different reads by Mike Conley, one to Gobert gets fouled, one uh, Conley hits the three, and the third he hits a Gobert earlier who then makes the right read to pass to Bogdanovich, and that's why this team is rolling. That three-play sequence right there with everyone making uh, those three different reads is why this team is rolling. All right, that's my rewatch. Hopefully giving you enough things for the game. Thanks so much for your listening this week, and uh, we'll hopefully get ready, get the win tonight. Wrap that up and start getting ready for the next one uh, on our Thursday and Friday shows uh, this week with game one Sunday or Tuesday, if we can wrap this up. All right, Jazz and the Grizzlies, 730 tip at Vivint. Have a great one. See you.